what a, what a great opportunity we have. Start of a new year. It's hard to believe. You know, every time you get a year older, and I thought this much when I was much younger, uh, you know, New Year's celebrations and startings of New Year's would happen and occur on a regular basis. And you kind of think, oh, well, yeah, it's a new year. No big deal. But then you realize how quickly time goes the older you get, and it seems to go faster. You see uh, all these things transpiring around you. Uh, and I think it's such an important reality for each one of us to take time during this, uh, this particular time period during the year to think about the importance of where God is taking us. And we're going to stay, uh, we're going to step away still just briefly for the month, and I want to to talk to you a little bit about this as we do this before we head back into Joshua during the month of February. But we are going to embark what, what I have often uh, led the churches that I have pastored through, especially during the month of January, which I have entitled Stewardship Month. It is primarily because God is taking us where he's taking us that it is such a significant reality for us to, to spend some time thinking about the way that we live our lives, the things that we spend time doing, the places we spend our time going, the ways in which we spend our resources on all kinds of things. January is always for me and has always been for years and years at this point uh, as the start of a new year would cycle around in my spiritual walk before God has been this deliberate attempt to set aside time during the entirety of the month to think to myself, where have I spent my time? What kinds of things need to be adjusted? And what should I be doing that I wasn't doing the last year? And I would encourage you. And I really want to challenge you this month as we take this whole entire month to consider these particular thoughts. Now, one of the ways that I'm going to challenge you now hear me say this this is completely voluntary but it has a purpose outside you're going to notice on a table right next to the behold the lamb of god passion week series cards that you should take and hand out and invite someone is another piece of paper called a stewardship commitment now you might be immediately thinking to yourself oh man he's coming after our money i'm not God doesn't need your money, and stewardship is not primarily or only about money, although we will talk about that. I want to talk this month, and you'll notice this progression over the time that we have been, that we will talk together about an emphasis of evaluating three particular areas of your life. The stewardship of your time, which we'll cover next week, the stewardship of your talent, which we'll cover the week after, and the stewardship of your treasure. And this morning, our goal set before us is to really understand why, why should we be a good steward anyway? Why take a month? Why think deeply? Why ref reflect repetitively through the course of this week to think to yourself or even engage in any kind of mental effort to see what kind of steward you really are? You know, because in all reality, no one really knows the kind of steward you are fully except God himself. We're going to cover a little bit about that. Now you're going to notice on this stewardship commitment card, it is broken down to those particular three areas. Time, talent, and treasure. 
And if there's one thing that I know for sure over the course of my own Christian walk is that nothing happens accidentally. No Christian just grows and then gets to another year and says, well, look at that. I didn't do anything at all, and I reaped all the benefits. Now, that would be great. But that's just not the way it works, is it? The way it works is we have to think deeply about how we live our lives, the things we spend time doing, the places we use our talents, and the money that we use to, to do all kinds of things in the course of our life. You'll notice that even as we walk through this, one of the questions is no doubt going to be, because you're going to see uh, a stewardship commitment of treasure. You're thinking, I know this is your first question. Who's looking at my card? It's thought, you thought about it. Nobody. You are. As you deliberately think and pray and reflect on these areas and fill out this particular stewardship commitment, you know where this commitment stays? Between you and God. But you put that commitment in an envelope in which you will seal. As you prayerfully considered through that month, and when you come to our annual meeting, there'll be a place for you to put that sealed envelope with your name on it in which we will stow away for a whole entire year until next year's annual meeting in which it will be sitting on a table with your name on it and you'll, give, you'll be given some time a year from now to come into the auditorium to open up that letter, to look at your stewardship commitment, the promises you made before the Lord in these areas and either rejoice or repent. We ought to take a level of commitment before God, something so serious that we find it, uh, we find it that we desire to, to spend time reflecting. Do you realize time goes by so fast in the course of our lives and years just continue to roll on that sometimes we ask ourselves the question, why haven't I changed? I just keep doing the same thing. My marriage keeps going through the same old cycles. I get to be upset about the same old things. Do you ever wonder why that happens? Is because we don't often spend a deliberate effort to finally target what needs to be changed and figure out what to do about it. And laying out a growth plan for your next year on where God wants to use you, use your time, and use all that you are for his glory. There's no doubt that when you look in the New Testament, take, in your, Bibles if you, take your Bible if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians, because I want to start this series off in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There could be no greater individual that, that I think that we could look at in the Bible to hear his words of the way he planned and the way he thought about ministry than the Apostle Paul. Here you have a man who, through great effort, through great suffering, through great challenges, a man who stewarded his life before God in such a remarkable way that we have books of the Bible that were written because this man took effort to live his life as a steward before the God of heaven, 1 Corinthians 4. You notice, here's the other reason why this is important. You probably have walked by it scores of times at this point if you've been at the chapel for, for a number of years. And if you haven't, I would encourage you, go out, walk around the corner, and you're going to see our church mission statement written on the wall, not by hand. But it notice, it says this, Cape Bible Chapel exists to be a gospel-centered community of worshipers on mission to make and to multiply disciples of Christ 
in our neighborhoods, among the nations, and in the next generation. Do you realize that that mission statement could never be accomplished by a collective group of people if we don't take seriously the lives that we are stewarding before God from year to year to year? Have you ever thought about this? What if this is your last year? You know, none of us are guaranteed anything, by the way. We can think we have many, many years to come. I remember as a young person thinking to myself, oh, there's just so much time. And then I started to hang around with, with older people, and they kept telling me, like, I don't have much time left. I'm thinking, I must be missing something. But you realize that no matter what amount of time that you have left, or I have left, we are called to use it in a way that is pleasing to God. And we cannot fulfill the mission statement that even is written and inscribed on our wall if we don't take the stewardship of our lives seriously. And let me bring you up to speed in the context of 1 Corinthians 4. Notice, just back up for one chapter for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. See, we're living, Paul is describing, and he's writing to a church in Corinth that is probably very similar to the kind of culture that we live in. Filled with all kinds of sexual immorality, filled with all kinds of pagan idolatry, filled with all kinds of ways you could waste and squander your time. And here believers were there, and he's trying to grow them, and he's saying, I really want to talk to you about something, because it doesn't appear to me as if you are taking hold of your spirituality very seriously. He continues in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4. He says, there was divisions there. He says, for one, the people are saying, well, I follow a Paul. And another says, well, I follow Apollos. Are you, are you not being merely human? And that's not a compliment. He's saying there's a problem. And he says, and then he continues in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13. Notice these words. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Pause for a minute. What's that day, believers? It is that day when all my thoughts and all my activities and all my life's efforts and every place I put my resources and every place I, I, I thought was beneficial, I will be laid bare before the eyes of a holy God and he will evaluate on that day whether my work was worth anything at all. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little nerve-wracking. I mean, when you think about all of your thoughts and your activities and places you've been and thoughts you've had and things you've done, and then someone just basically knowing all that, it should be. It should cause and stir within your own life a sense of holy reverence and fear that this God demands something of Christians. And, and Christians, make no mistake about this. He demands things from you. These are not just optional Christian living principles that the Bible gives to us. Hey, if you get around to it in the next year, 
Think about those kind of things. These are things that if you don't do them, if I don't put my life towards them, I will one day be saddened as all my efforts and all the things that I thought was good will be burned up before the eyes of a holy God. Paul speaks to the Corinthian believers, no doubt, and they struggled with the level of carnality that they lived with, both in their culture and that had began to seep into the church. But they were believers, and he had to continually remind them as to the significance of the day in which they would stand before Christ. Because, because in 1 Corinthians 3, notice as he follows along in 13, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that, has been, uh, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I don't know about you, but I would prefer, if I had the choice, to stand commended before the eyes of a holy God and have him say, great job. I mean, don't you prefer that? If somebody said to you, I want to talk with you, you'd prefer them commending you versus saying, hello, have you not paid attention? Have you not listened to anything that I've said? We will suffer a level of personal anguish that we will have to come to grips with if we don't make sure that we are stewarding our Christian life in a way that is pleasing before God. Now here's the text before us. Follow along, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1 through 5. Here's what Paul says. He says, this is how one should regard us, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, according to 1 Corinthians 3, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the, the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart then each one will receive his commendation before God. I want to focus this morning on this reality. If I can get this working. Stewards are going to give account before a God how they have chosen to live their lives. Christian, you cannot hear this enough. You will stand accountable before the holy, almighty God of heaven. And you'll stand accountable for these things where you've decided all of a sudden that you've chosen a certain way to live your life. One thing that's quite remarkable in the culture that we live in, and I assume that this has always been part of a sinfully depraved culture, is that we have, at times, we have this disposition, do you not feel it? Where it's like, well, that wasn't me. Like, I didn't, that wasn't my fault. Do you notice your own personal propensity to blame shift? Like this has been going on since the very beginning part of Genesis, by the way. But we often find ourselves saying, no, I, I, I didn't do that. 
You made me do that. You know, as I've discipled my kids in, in our family, it's now come to my understanding that as a course of time, as you disciple in your home, that you realize that your family doesn't let you get by with the kind of excuses you'd love to get by with, don't they? They're super kind about that. They do things like, I'll say things like, you guys are making me so angry. And I'll hear like, well, you know, Dad, I can't really make you do anything. Oh, but you're doing something. See, this reality that sometimes we want to push off on other people the responsibility, the responsibility that we ourselves have to take control of in our own hearts. Paul says this in this particular passage that is such a clear understanding for us to say, how are we stewarding our lives? Look at, notice how the other scriptures in the Bible speak to this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one will receive what is, is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. Yes, how you spent your time this last year, you will give an account. And the year before that, and a year before that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, notice this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I wonder what that's going to look like, I think, sometimes, as I, as I think about what that day will be like. When, uh, and, and, and I've done this before. Uh, in a sense, in the counseling room, and, and I know one day the Lord is going to counsel me in person. And he's going to say something to me like this. Do you remember when you said this? And I, I can only imagine there's going to be moments at that, that time. I'm probably going to go, oh, man. Like, you saw that. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. You know, I bet, there's I bet there's moments in your life like that. Moments that if we often forget and don't take attentiveness to, that all of a sudden on that day of judgment, the Lord will bring up for us, not to try to destroy us, but try to help us understand how worthy He is, how holy He is, and how remarkable it is that people like us who have said things that we've said, who have thought thoughts that we have uh, thought in our life, who have done things that we have done, can now even enter the presence of a holy God. I think after that encounter at the judgment seat of Christ, I think think all of us will, will go into heaven and we will probably be like, there's no way I should be here, but praise be to God, this is the only reason why I'm here. I don't think you're going to go down some back street and say, how'd you get in? (laughs) I think you're going to know why you're there, and it's because of the righteousness and the holiness and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. It's so critical for us as we think about these thoughts because we have to begin to ask ourselves questions like this. Who am I living for? Am I living for God? Or am I just living for myself? Do I do things because of the praise of men? Or do I do things because of the praise of God? 
When God evaluates your life right now, as you sit in this pew, I want to ask you a question. What does God see and what do you think he's saying about your choices, about your thoughts, about your pursuits right now? And if it's not good, what are you going to do about that? Maybe you might ask yourself this question. What's been bringing me a significant amount of joy? What if it's not God? What if it's money? What if it's people in your lives? Or what if it's other things that don't really make as much sense other than to enjoy God? What about this question? What brings you the greatest amount of peace? Are you going to go after that this upcoming year saying, I've just got to have it. A little bit more money in my 401k. I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to get that brand new car. I'm going to build that house I've been longing for. Then I'll have the joy and the peace. Where are you finding contentment, Christian? Where you say to yourself, I'll just be content when, and you just fill in the blank. And all the things you fill in the blank with have very little spiritual endeavors. Oh, isn't it interesting how you could, you could Google at any given moment at the New Year's what kind of resolutions, and they'll give you the top ten resolutions. And you know what always one is? You guessed it. Losing weight. Like for the first two months, you don't even want to go to the workout center. Because you can't find a machine. But if you wait about three to four months in, it starts clearing up. Have you noticed that? Something happens over the process of time where one thing that we thought was valuable doesn't become as valuable as we once thought or even committed ourselves to. That's why the stewardship commitment card. For you and I to think together. To know that each other as brothers and sisters in Christ are looking to, to evaluate our lives in a holy pursuit in the upcoming year that God would grow us. Believers, I pray for you in this place, in this auditorium, that God would do a work in you that no one else could take credit for except for God alone. And the people in your lives and people in this community, the people that you work for, would say, that's a Christian. They've got something I just don't have. Young people, I pray that as you go about your Christian pursuits in the schools that God has put you in, that people would see your lives and they would say, there's something different about that person. They don't talk the same. They don't act the same. They don't want to watch the same things. They actually want to be obedient to their parents. Who would have thought? That should be said about us in our holy pursuits. This becomes significant because how a Christian lives reveals the value system that they live by. And each one of us in this room this morning those who are even connected to our online service, each one of them, every life, every moment, every thought, every, every structure of their family, everything that they do reveals a value system by which you live your life. Jesus came to alter 
the way that we, our value system would be. Because the reality is, is if we don't value what God values, we will come to another year if he gives us that, and we will be saddened once again that we are not the kind of people God wants us to be. I want to talk this morning in, in, our, in the rest of our time about three aspects of a good steward out of the text in 1 Corinthians 4. Notice this. I want to talk first of all about the steward's identity. Did you notice this in 1 Corinthians 4? He says, this is how one should regard us. Now he uses the us in the plural because he's coming to this because they were, there was divisions in the church. They were saying things like, well, hey, our section over here, like, we're Paul's guys. We're Paul's people. Another section saying, well, hey, I mean, I know Paul's pretty good, but Apollos is my man. And Cephas is not so bad. They started to have divisions of who they would follow. Christians, that is not what the church can become. It's not about what person, it's about the person of Christ. See, a steward's identity, first and foremost, is what Paul says, here's how you ought to regard us, and thus is not just the Christian community. In a fuller sense, this is how the world should regard people who follow Christ as servants of Christ. Paul is very familiar with this idea of being a servant, a bond slave to Jesus Christ. In so many different passages and books of the Bible, he opens up various texts of scripture that he's written to churches and says, Paul and Timothy, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But that's not the word that he uses here. He doesn't use the word doulos. He uses another word that was shaped in that particular culture. And the idea of, of, of what it looked like to be a servant And that word really originated from this reality. And this word that he says, we are servants of Christ, was really the picture, and it originated in this terminology, to be a a galley slave. And it came out of a background of a guy who sat at the bottom of a ship, who no one really cared about, who was a slave amongst many, and sat at the very lowest rung, and he was told, row. No one cares about your life. Follow orders. And Paul picks up on this kind of terminology and he's saying, there is someone who cares about your life and there is someone who you are now enslaved to. But can you, can you just get your mind around this? Everybody is a slave. The question is, who's your master? Prior to saving faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, you're a slave. But you have a very different master. A master that has chained you to your sin a master that has enslaved you into unrighteousness, a master that does not want you to praise and honor the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are a slave to the one, Paul says, in whom you obey. He says that in Romans. And and Jesus picks up on this and says, no slave can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other. Oh, but Christians, you are a servant of the most high king, a servant of the living God in the person of Jesus Christ, who now, although he grabs this this slavery, this servitude kind of terminology of the galley slave at the bottom of a boat, which then morphed into this reality of servants at large, those who can take orders and fulfill them and not complain. Let me just ask you for a moment. How many times do you think you've complained over the last year? 
Like when I begin to think about just that one question alone, I'm just ashamed of myself. Stupid things. Like what's for dinner? Like, like there's a disappointment in, like there's food. <laughs> Great. It's so easy to complain. See, servants of the living God, servants of Christ, are people who look not to complain, but they look to be an individual who says, you know what, I just want to follow the Lord. Their identity is bound up in being a servant. If you, as a mom and dad, you, you, you said to your children, if your child said to you as they were growing up, what, and you asked them, what are you going to do with your life? And in the first century, they said to you, you know, I'm thinking about being a galley slave. What do you think? You'd have a talk with them. See, are you content being a servant of Christ, Christian? Because unbeknownst to its terminology, and often the way we think of it, what would you rather be, CEO or servant? <laughs> Vice president or servant? Professor or no-namer? You know all of us have a propensity in our heart to be like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that girl. I want to be this person. I want to look like that. I want people to notice. You know, all these earthly pursuits that we often go after are often so meaningless. If we don't put it into perspective that we are servants of Christ, Christians, are you serving him? What kind of servant are you? Have you even taken time to ask yourself that question? How well do I serve Christ who served me by his own death so that I could live and that one day I could be in the gates of he enter into the gates of heaven? Oh, a stewardship's identity is so critical because this is where we find purpose and meaning and value. And so many people, Christian people included, are looking for values and purpose and meaning outside of God. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted and put your, put your faith in Jesus Christ alone and turned from your sin, you can't even know who you are until you come into contact with the living Christ. And the living God who says to you, you are mine. You bear my image and I want to redeem you. It is that redemptive act that is recorded in the pages and pages of Revelation so that you and I would come to face to face with the reality that we are stewards who have been redeemed by a sacrificial act of a holy God who would send his righteous son and he put all of our sin on his shoulders and spill his blood on the cross so that you and I, the moment we recognized that we were a sinner on our way to hell, that we would have a redeemer who had paid the price for that sin. And you could say and mean these words, dear God, there is no salvation by any other name but by the name of Jesus Christ alone. Please forgive my sin. You're the only one who can save. That at that moment, Christian, he changed your life. He changed your heart. 
He made you a steward of the living God, a servant of Christ the King. All this is so significant for us because we often, I don't believe, take enough time to think and evaluate the way in which we serve. Are you able to take instruction from God? I often tell my, my children this as they've grown up in my home. If you can't even respect and follow my authority, then how are you going to follow author an authority you can't see? And if you, don't, if you act carelessly and don't care about the word, then how will you know what he wants for you? Oh, young people, too many young, young Christians that have grown up in the church hearing sermons, reading the Bible, grow up, leave the church, and never come back because they see no value in it. It is so critical in our lives to be able to take instruction from the living God because when you're in the Word this year, don't you pray God, change me. God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to speak to me through your word and revamp my life and my priorities and my schedule so that it is your will that is being done and not mine. Are you willing to serve and be a servant even if you're not even noticed one lick from anybody this upcoming year? No Christian ever comes to you and says, oh, I love what you're doing. It's like, do you need that in order to serve? I know, it's nice. It feels good, right? Like I would prefer somebody saying that versus the commendation versus, Ooh. I can remember one time I was preaching a message and I went super long, which I don't hope to do today. And an older gentleman in my church, loving brother, love, I just love him to death, has now gone to be with the Lord. And in fitting, in a very fitting way, I was preaching a message on the Christian life as a marathon. And, he, and as he was walking out the door, he said, he said to me, I said, Will, it's great to see you this morning. He said, too long. I thought, well, how about that? See, no matter what you're doing, all of us are going to face a level of people's gaze and perspective of what we're doing. And you know what? As I evaluated, he was right. It was too long. So don't stand up and leave and then save it. I'm going to have 10 people at the door going, too long. But the reality is, is that we, if we don't get noticed or we don't get the kind of commendation we think we should have, it doesn't matter because the day that you're working for is the day when you'll stand before Jesus Christ and all things will be laid bare and when you receive the commendation from God himself and he is glorified by what you're doing there will be no more greater or deeper appreciation that you will ever have to say God you did that in me I didn't even do that on my own you did it and you used me let me just ask you another question real quick on the servant. Do you enjoy being a servant, Christian? I mean, do you, do you wake up and think, oh, goodness, I'm a servant? Or do you, like, do you enjoy being a servant? 
Do, do you like living the Christian life, following God's ways? Because if we're just a bunch of Christian people in and around our Christian community that look to others and to the world like this is the biggest drag ever, I'm sure that's going to fill this building. And the goal isn't necessarily to fill the pews with just people. It's to fill pews with people who desire to be the kind of stewards God wants from them. That they are welcomed into a collective community that also realizes how hard this task is. Servants are last, they're not first. Look to put yourself at the bottom. Don't look to be commended. Look to serve. Husbands, wives, parents, do you serve Jesus Christ and demonstrate that service and love for Jesus Christ by loving your wife, husbands? Wives, do you love your husband? Do you look to serve versus just have somebody there to do whatever it is you don't want to do? Young people in homes with brothers and sisters and families, how are you serving your siblings? Where can you help them grow? One of the most incredible catalysts for Christian growth came from four other brothers that I, that I lived alongside of who loved Jesus Christ. Challenging us to grow. But a steward's identity has to be as a servant. It doesn't only stop there. He continues uh, to another degree. And he says, now, he wants to, now let's talk about it as a steward's activity. Do you notice this? He says, here's how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What is a steward, by the way, anyway? See, this is the word in the New Testament where you get the idea of household manager. Think for a moment in the Old Testament, Potiphar and Joseph. When Potiphar all of a sudden gave Joseph household management... That's the idea. Everything of his possessions, all his money, all his servants, everything was at Joseph's disposal. This is the idea of a steward. What have we been given? Well, we've been, we've been handed the stewardship of the mysteries of God. Pause for a moment. You don't get to determine what the mysteries of God are. God does. <laughs> That's why this is so critical for you. This isn't some revelatory, vision-orientated, uh, dream-centered, you're not receiving new revelation these days because it's all been written down right here. That's all you need. A stewardship of the mysteries of God. A steward who has been now given household management, who is, I mean, think about this for a moment, Christian. You're stewarding the very mysteries of the God of heaven who created everything that you've ever known. And when he's talking about the mysteries, this idea of mystery in the New Testament is really predominantly this idea. That which had been concealed is now revealed. In its basic sense, it's something that was concealed that's now been revealed. Who's it been revealed to? To Christians who have embraced Faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior who would repent of their sins to Jesus Christ alone, who would pay homage and allegiance to no other person but Jesus Christ alone. We have been given stewardship of the mysteries of the gospel of grace. 
Christian, when's the last time you've, been, you've shared the good news of the gospel with somebody? Have you, have you just gone cold to the reality that every person's life that you meet is a sovereign, providential encounter, and when it's an unbeliever at work or another person at school, young person, and they don't know Jesus Christ, are you thinking to yourself, I've got to steward the mysteries of the gospel of grace, and I've got to share this with them. You realize this is why we, we've given you a handout, a handout about the Passion Week for you to take to work, to take to the places you're going, to hand out to say, come, let me just, I want to invite you to hear about this Jesus and what he has done. That's why we do it. You're stewarding the mysteries of the God of heaven, the mercies of this great God. Oh, don't let us take that for granted, Christian. This should consume the activity of our life. This kinds of evangelistic efforts, this kind of discipleship encounters. Are you getting involved in people's life in a way that your activity reflects what you've been given to steward? Can you be said, man, they just want to tell people about Jesus and they want to help Christians grow to be more like Jesus. They love God and they just love other people so deeply. Don't think that every time you share the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that it's going to be met with a reception of excitement. Because you notice in 1 Corinthians 2.14, if you look back just, uh, just two chapters, that it says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here's what that means. They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think your pursuits, your efforts, and places you go, things you don't do, words you don't say, movies you won't go watch, shows you don't comment on, they're going to think that's crazy. Because we should just have fun. Well, Christian, if we live our life in the essence of, of, of fun and feeling, when we get before that day of the Lord, oh, we are going to wish that we had lived more seriously and stewarded more appropriately the things of the mysteries of the God of heaven. Our steward's identity is important because it's a servant of God. His activity is important because we're stewarding some very precious things of the living God. But no steward would be who they are if, except for an issue of loyalty. You can have a lot of kinds of different servants that are in and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But you notice that Paul said in in this, in, verse, uh, in this verse number two, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Christian, would that be how someone or God of, the God of heaven would describe your life? That you are faithful through it all. That you are faithful until the end. That you are faithful no matter what your age is. One of the things that's a value of various people, especially by hanging around uh, people who are older and further up there in years. And I, I've, I've had so many older people say to me, man, I used to be able to do so much, and now I do so fewer things actually keep me busy. Well, this is good news for you in the new year, because you've got to do less in order to keep you busy, but it's going to keep you just as busy. You're not just exempt because you lived a certain amount of Christian life. And I remember even laughing just at various moments. I was hanging around one particular elderly gentleman, and uh, he said to me, Son, I want to give you a 
tidbit of wisdom. This is just practical, he said. He said, every time I go down to lace my shoe up, I think to myself, now that I'm older, what else can I do while I'm down here so I don't have to come back down? You know, every time I tie my shoe, I think of that guy. And he's right. Like, you know how often they're like, oh, I'll just grab that. I'm down here. We are Christians living in a moment in our life then we might as well serve, serve with joy, serve with an activity that is stewarding the very mysteries of God, but do it with such a level of faithfulness that it doesn't matter who sees you, it matters if God sees you and that he sees your heart and he sees what you're doing and that he will one day commend you. This is why we get these people in the Bible, like when Paul says, I'm going to send my faithful servant, Timothy. I'm going to send, in Philippians, Epaphras. These were faithful people. Christians, if you have been redeemed by the mercies of God and now called to steward the mysteries of the God of heaven, he has called you. He has called you this year to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying soul that is on their way to hell. Christian, he has called you to come alongside a suffering saint who's struggling in their Christian walk, and bolster them to become new in Christ. Let this be the efforts of your pursuit, the things that you look back on and say, it was time well spent. Paul ends in this section. It's very interesting. He says, these stewards that are found faithful, he says, but with me, it's, very, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. This is not arrogance from the Apostle Paul. What he's simply recognizing for the Corinthian community was this, was that there's only one person's judgment that really mattered in the end. It was God's. How he saw, where I spent my time, what I valued, Paul says, even at times, he said, I can't, even, I can't even evaluate myself. Even my own self-assessment pales in comparison to the judgment of God, who will reveal all things. And did you catch this at the very end? He says, when the Lord comes, the one who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Christian, Christianity is a work of the mind. And all our efforts and the things that we do start with how we think. And when we look and we realize that the purposes and the motives of our heart will be revealed. Why I witnessed. Why I encouraged another person. Why I tried to be an encouragement. Why I wanted to serve in the nursery. Why I wanted to teach a Sunday school class. Why, why, why? Those are the things that will be laid bare. You might think, I've done all these great things, but if your motive is bad, then you've been fooling yourself the entire time. But when your motive and your heart is good, it can overflow out of the most wonderful, joyous, fruit-filled lives that God will commend you for. Let us make sure that together over the next year, as God continues to help us, encourage us, and grow us as a church, that we don't get sucked in to a cultural reality that it's all about numbers. It's about people in pews. It's not. 
It's about holiness. It's about sacrifice. It's about servitude to the living God. It's about stewardship of the mysteries of God. It's about faithfulness to us. God will take care of all the rest of it. We don't have to fret or worry about anything else. We can just be faithful stewards of God, and he will show us the way. Do our best, Paul says, he said this to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God, 2 Timothy 2.15, as one who had been approved, a worker who is not to be ashamed, but rightly handling the word of truth. Let this year be a year where the Lord helps, see, helps you see what you're valuing. Pray, ask God to reveal to you over the month, through the pages of, of your word, through your devotional life, where you've been spending your time. What do you need to spend less time doing? and more time doing something else. How much social media consumption do you have? How many movies do you watch? How many mindless activities do you pursue? What kind of, what kind of value system do you engage with in the life of your family? What do you show your children, mom and dads, as to what is valuable? Revelation 22 says this most amazing statement. John leaves us with this. He says, in Revelation 22, 12, behold, he says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Christian, he is really coming. I really hope it's this year. I really do. Not because I'm somehow eager to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> but I know that by the mercies of God, that I can enter into the gates of heaven because of what Jesus did for me. And I can rely on his grace to do for me what I could have never done for myself. Steward the mysteries of God's grace this year in a way that is pleasing to him. As we come next week, we're gonna be talking very specifically about ways that we can steward and think about our time in a way that is pleasing to him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are... Lord, just to think about the reality that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That you would be willing to even take us as servants who were once rebels against you and entrust us to be faithful with the very mysteries of God. God, we don't deserve this. Our goal is to be faithful to you the way you are faithful to us. I pray for all of us at the chapel that as we go through even this month that you would help us evaluate the things that matter, to, uh, that matter the most so that what you value is exactly what we value. Help us do that, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.